Hey, this is Eric, and you're listening to the Story Church Podcast. Our podcast features audio from Sunday mornings at Story Church in Peru, Indiana, a community on the mission of connecting people's story to God's story. If you'd like to connect with us further, check out storyperu.com. Our hope is that today's episode helps you take your next step on your faith journey. We're continuing our series today that we kicked off last week called Relational Vampires, and it's spooky season, but if you need reminded, what does a vampire do? They want to suck your blood, right? And so uh, we're talking about relational vampires, and these are people who, whether they intend to or not, for whatever reason, they just suck the life out of you, right? And we all probably know somebody like that. Uh, I said this last week, no elbows, okay, throughout this series. Like if you're sitting next to somebody, they're like, eh, this might be you. Let's just play nice, okay? We're all in this together. Uh, But the real reason we're talking about this together, there's a really simple but really foundational idea behind this whole series, and uh, it's this simple idea that loving people is important. I know that feels like kindergarten, right? Like, love one another, be kind to one another. But it's a big deal. And in fact, it's such a big deal that one time Jesus was asked, hey, what is the most important thing that I could do for God? Like, what is the most important thing that God wants people to do? And Jesus's reply was simply that people should love God and let that love for God be expressed in our love for one another. That was it. It was such an intense answer. Jesus said that all of the law and the prophets, or in other words, all of the rules and regulations that you find in what we now know as the Old Testament, that big, thick front half of your Bible, Jesus says all of that hangs on this simple but powerful idea of loving God and letting our love for God be expressed in the way that we love and treat one another. And so I know, like, loving each other is important. It feels like it belongs in my daughter's preschool class, right? Like it feels very foundational, but it's easier said than done, isn't it? It's easy to say like, yeah, I love everybody, but then you're around some of those people sometimes, right? Some of you might even live with them, right? Like you're you're around people, and the truth is some people are harder to love than others. And last week, we talked about how that's okay, like, that's okay for us to acknowledge, and, and sometimes that's hard for us to do in church circles. Sometimes we feel like we have to be nice to each other, which we should. Like, that's not a bad thing to feel, but sometimes we take it too far to where we don't acknowledge the truth about one another, and the truth about all of us is we're all different, and we all interact with each other in different ways, and sometimes we're hard to love. Sometimes you're hard to love. Sometimes I'm hard to love, not because of anything bad that we do, but just because of the way that we're wired. We have personality differences, and some people are people's cup of tea, and some people are not people's cup of tea, right? And that's okay, and we want room for that here. Like, whatever your personality type is on the Enneagram or Myers-Briggs or whatever acronym you want to come up with, like, you're welcome here, but it does shape how we are. It shapes the way that we interact with one another. Uh, Sometimes it's just personal preference, right? We all like certain things and dislike certain things. That's not good, bad, right, or wrong. I'm not here to tell you that you have to agree with me on everything today, although I'm right, clearly. But uh, no, all of us have our personal preferences, and sometimes those differences can make it hard to relate to one another. Um, I remember I struggled with this when I first started teaching, because... Uh, right now at Story, it's pretty much me that you hear teaching on Sunday mornings. Uh, in previous ministry context, I was on a teaching team, so there were like five or six different voices you might hear uh, s- from Sunday to Sunday, and, and I had to learn pretty quickly that some people had favorites, right? I know how you are, because you're like me, right? And we all have favorites, and, and I would sometimes realize, oh no, 
I'm not their favorite, <laughs> right? And I'm up this week, and I'm trying to connect with people, and that's okay. We all have personal preferences, and that's part of what sometimes can make it hard to love one another. Sometimes difficult circumstances make it hard to love one another, especially if you've navigated through a crisis situation, you know, like we all did for like two years <laughs> pretty recently. Sometimes you're so focused on the crisis that it's hard to focus on other people, and that can cause difficulty in our relationships along the way. But either way, the point is over the course of these weeks, throughout this series, we want to talk about what it looks like for us to actually be the people God called us to be, to be people who love one another even when we're difficult to love, even when there's people in our lives who try and suck the life out of us. And uh, we're talking about specific types of people, although we could probably do this series every week of the year and find more types of people who are hard to love. Uh, but the disclaimer I gave last week is still true this week, that although we're talking about how we love other people who are difficult, we also have to acknowledge that we can be difficult. Each of us can be just as susceptible to falling into the things that we're talking about throughout the series as anybody else. And so as we're looking at how we relate to difficult people, we also want to like have the mirror pointed back at ourselves and remember that we are just as likely to become difficult at some point along the way and how uh, we can navigate that well. So last week, we talked about how do we love people who are controlling or manipulative. And what we said is that uh, often people who are controlling or manipulative, they may not even intentionally be so. But what they tend to do is they try and put their plan for your life above God's plan for your life. They have a sense of what you should do or how you should be, and they try and manipulate you or control you, whether it's through like little threats, like if you don't do what I say, guess what's going to happen? Or through guilt, like after all that I've done for you, you can't just listen to me, you can't just do uh, what I have to say. So we talked about people who are like that, and, and what we said is that we have to be clear on what our calling is if we're going to love uh, someone who's a little controlling well. Because... The thing about calling is it doesn't have to be this big, grand thing like moving to Uganda and becoming a missionary, but calling is just the specific things God has asked you to say yes to. It, it could be as simple and specific as being a parent or being a spouse or, or the job that you do, uh, the way that you're a member of the community. These are things that we're all called to. And when you're clear on what you're called to, it makes it easier to say yes to the right things and say no to the right things. It, it makes it easier to love somebody who may want to control you. But we also said there's times where we have to draw a line in the sand, where we have to actually put a boundary in place and stand up for that calling that God has given to us. And the real barrier for that, we said last week, is that all of us tend to want to be a little people-pleasing. But when we drift into that space of being people-pleasing, it often means putting other people's opinions in front of God's calling on our life. It often means that we're swayed by the public opinion rather than the voice of our Savior who's directing us on where to go. And so what we said at the very end is that if like, you're aware of that and there's something that you need to change, it's helpful to know that the relationships that you have right now are the result of what you expect and what you accept. And if you want to make a change, you have to change what you allow. You have to draw that line in the sand. You have to protect yourself along the way. But as we continue on in the series, uh, next week, we're going to talk about people who are needy. Right? We probably all have met a needy person along the way who it seems like no matter what you give them, they always want more. There's always a new crisis, always a new problem. And, and so we're going to talk about like how do we love people who are like that well, who are never satisfied, who always need more of our time or our energy or whatever it may be that they're like sucking away from us. We're going to talk about that. Uh, we're going to wrap things up on the final week of this series, talking about how do we love people who are hypocritical. This is a really big deal in the church, right? Like maybe you know people that they're like, man, they say they love Jesus, but they don't live any different than anybody else. They say they believe certain things, 
but they don't actually live out those beliefs in any practical way. And it can be so frustrating. It can be difficult. And we're going to talk about, like, what's our role in that? What, what do we do in loving people like that well? But today, um, we're going to talk about something, unfortunately, that all of us, I think, will face in life. And that's how do you love a critical person? How do you love somebody who it seems like they always have a critique of what's going on around them or what you're doing or, or what's happening in your life? How do we love a critical person? And I'm curious, like, how many of you would say that you know a person who has the spiritual gift of fault-finding? Anybody? <laughs> yeah, my hand's raised, too. Uh, to be honest, I can be that person uh, sometimes. Maybe you're here today and you brought somebody with you or you've been here a while, but, like, if you've leaned over and you've told the person sitting next to you five things you don't like about today's service already, today might be for you, okay, because <laughs> we're talking about being critical. And, again, I can drift into that, too. But the question we're asking is how do we deal with people like that? How do we deal with people who, it seems, can always find the negative or can always find the thing to pick at along the way? Maybe you work for a boss who's like this, where you never really hear what you're doing right. You only hear from your boss when something's going wrong, and it just seems like he's always critiquing or, or she's always telling you what you're doing wrong. She's always up in your business, and it's so difficult. Uh, maybe you're an adult, but your parent still does this to you, like, like your mom or your dad uh, has an opinion still on everything you do in your life, and even though you've grown up and maybe you've got a family of your own, they, they have an opinion on the way you're raising your kids or how you should spend your money or, or, or whatever it may be. They, they just criticize everything. They seem really involved, and, and they've got a lot to say. Uh, maybe it's your spouse, right, who's critical of the way that you look or, or the way that you talk or the way that you walk or that way you chew gum, Right? That's annoying everybody around you, and it's so annoying. Or, or how you load the dishwasher, or how you never load the dishwasher, or, or like the fact that you leave your underwear on the ground, right? Or, or you have that shirt, that shirt that you wear every week, right? People are catching on, and maybe your spouse is talking about that. And like maybe you have somebody overly critical in your life who, who plays this role and who's putting the pressure on you, and who seems like it's bringing you down. Uh, I feel like I identify with this topic pretty well because a. To be honest, I can be a person who is naturally kind of critical. I, I naturally uh, drift towards having an opinion about things. I don't know if it's because I'm kind of like an artistic person, and so like I have strong opinions one way or the other. But, but if I'm honest, it's easy for me to find a flaw in something. It's easy for me to pick at something. It's, it's almost like fun for me sometimes to share about it with people. Like, hey, service is great, but did you see that light over there? Whatever it may be. Uh, it's easy for me to drift in that way. And then I feel like it's multiplied for me uh, because of my role here at the church. To be honest, uh, there are few environments that can breed criticism quite like the local church, uh, unfortunately. And I've even thought about it through different seasons of our leadership here in Peru. Uh, there has been criticism thrown towards our church through all kinds of different seasons. When we first uh, were launching about four years ago, we were under a different name and a part of a different church. But uh, I remember people criticized me that we were meeting in a movie theater. Like, this wasn't holy enough ground for the church to be in. And, and people thought we were like a cult. Like, what, who does this in a small town? And you meet in a movie theater. Do you even have a pastor? Like, like, we would get criticism like that. Some people wouldn't attend because we're in the movie theater. Like, they're like, maybe when you get a building, we'll come check it out because that's what the church is, right? No. But they thought so. And so uh, we went through that. Uh, there was a season we joined a church called Northview Church, and they had a different model where we used video teaching primarily almost every week of the year. Oh, man, I heard about video teaching, right? Like, the pastor's not even here. Is it even real? Can you even learn anything? And Listen, we don't do that very often anymore, but I'm not anti-video teaching, but, man, some of you are. Right? <laughs> I heard all about it. Um, I've heard critiques that were too big. I've heard critiques that were too small. 
Uh, one of my favorites, the church that I was a part of previously, uh, often was criticized that we weren't deep enough, and they gave us the brand Gospel Light, right? Like, it's like light beer, but Gospel Light, apparently, along the way. I don't know. Uh, you know, I've heard that we don't talk about your favorite subject enough, and I've heard that we talk too much about your least favorite subject, which is probably money. <laughs> but, but man, it can be so easy to be criticized in the church world. And so I, I get it. I, I've been on both sides of this equation. And I think the point today is no matter who you are, no matter where you are, no matter what you're doing, if you're making any kind of difference in the world, if you're in any kind of relationship, people at some point are going to be critical of you. At some point along the way, you're going to pick up some criticism. And uh, in fact, there is a quote. It's one of those quotes that everybody said at some point. It's been attributed to Aristotle, but I've seen it attributed to other people. Uh, But the quote goes like this. It says, to avoid criticism, do nothing, say nothing, and be nothing. Do nothing, say nothing, be nothing. And not to like critique the quote, but like if you do nothing and you say nothing and you be nothing, I would be willing to bet somebody's going to criticize you for being lazy, right? <laughs> somebody's going to find a way uh, along the way. But the point is, if you're alive, you're going to deal with criticism. And if you are a follower of Jesus, man, this is especially a big deal for us because we're supposed to look different than this world. Right? We're supposed to do things a little differently along the way. And if you're living out a different kind of values or a different kind of lifestyle, even if they're like really good things from our perspective, you'll probably be criticized for being different or, or for living a, a different kind of life. And so we have to learn how do we deal with criticism. And, and some of us not knowing how to do this, it's wrecking your relationships. Some of us not knowing this, like it's wrecking your workplace environment. It's wrecking your well-being because people around you are critical all the time and you don't know what to do with that. So uh, what we're going to do with the rest of our time is we're going to talk about how do we as Jesus followers actually respond to somebody who has a critical spirit or somebody who can always find the negative and it seems like they always want to criticize us. And uh, rather than doing what we did last week, last week we kind of looked at one interaction from Jesus' life. We're going to kind of skim the surface of a few different principles uh, that we find throughout Scripture. Specifically, we're going to spend some time in the book of Proverbs, uh, which was this book of wisdom that was collected over over years uh, just about how to live a life marked by wisdom specifically. But I want to give you four thoughts today about how we can respond to the people who may be critical in our lives. And the first one, uh, it's really simple. It might be a little surprising, but I think it is one of the most profound things that we can grasp in our relationship with a critical person. Uh, Sometimes the way that we respond to a critical person in our life is often you don't respond. Often the best thing you can do to a critical person in your life is to not take the bait and to not respond. Just because somebody criticizes you about something doesn't obligate you to respond. I feel like I could just be a broken record about that one sometimes because all of us are so tempted to react in a moment, aren't we? When somebody says something critical of you or maybe it feels unfair and we all have that like Popeye moment that happens in us. We're like, I can't stand it no more. I got to say something. uh, It can be so difficult. But understanding that you don't have to respond can be one of the most freeing things that you grab onto. And in fact, this posture was kind of Jesus's first line of offense. Whenever people criticize Jesus, often he just rose above it. Uh, Sometimes he would like get people who ask him a difficult question, trying to trap him, and he would just ask a different question to like refocus the conversation, I guess, but he didn't take the bait. He didn't rise to the occasion. And he was so good at this. Uh, Peter, who followed Jesus closely, was writing a letter to the first century church. And as he was describing Jesus's way of being in the world, here's what he said. 
He said, when they hurled their insults at him, talking about Jesus, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats, but instead he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. And there's so much packed into this, and we'll take it apart for just a second. Like, when they hurled their insults at him, what kind of insults did people say about Jesus? There's a long list, right? Especially the religious leaders of their day. They challenged Jesus. They criticized Jesus. They said that he hung out with the wrong kind of people, that he was a friend of sinners, and that wasn't a compliment, right? He was in the wrong crowd. Uh, They accused Jesus of being a drunk. They, They said that he ate too much, that he partied too hard. Uh, They said that he was crazy, that he was a lunatic, that he was pretending to be something that he's not, that he was a false god, that he was a heretic, and on and on and on. As Jesus walked the earth, he was constantly criticized by people about the things that he was doing and the way that he was operating. And here's maybe one point for us today to grab onto. If they found a way to criticize Jesus, who is perfect, they're going to find a way to criticize you and me, right? We're going to face criticism at some point along the way. But the important thing is notice, how did Jesus respond? How did Jesus respond? Peter says he did not retaliate. He did not defend himself. He did not complain, but he simply entrusted himself to his Father in heaven, the one who judges justly. Jesus had this perspective where he was like, I don't have to rise to the bait every time because I know I have a heavenly Father who sees it all and who promises he's going to judge it all justly, and so it's not my fight to fight when people are criticizing me wrongly. That often, you don't have to respond to a critical person. You can just be free from it, and you can move forward with your life. Just because someone has access to you doesn't mean that they deserve a response from you if they're just levying unfair criticism your way. Or I love the way that Proverbs 19 captures this idea. The author of the Proverbs says this, that a person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. And I think if we think about living that out, like if you think about the the last person who criticized you and the way that you felt towards them, doesn't that proverb, that principle seem kind of cheap? Like, no, I'm not letting them off the hook. I'm not going to overlook an offense. Are you kidding me? Like, they had no right to talk to me like that, or they didn't understand the full story, and I get that. Like, (laughs) I live there too. But overlooking an offense isn't the same thing as pretending it didn't happen. Uh, When the author of this proverb is talking about it, uh, the word overlook actually comes from a few Hebrew words smashed together that essentially mean to pass over, to, to just let it pass over you when somebody is offensive to you. And so overlooking an offense, it's this form of forgiveness But it's not like forgiving something that happened in the past. Overlooking an offense is forgiving in real time. It's forgiving as the offense happens. And so somebody can say something to you, but you don't have to respond to it. You can forgive it in the moment. They're wrong, but you don't have to take the bait and join them in the criticism. You can just let it pass over you. Overlook the offense. And it says that it's wise for us to do that. Like it, It wasn't fair for them to say that, but I don't have to get angry. I could retaliate. I could put them in their place. It would feel really good for me to do it. But I won't because I'm going to forgive it in real time. I'm going to overlook the offense. And man, to be honest with you, again, I can face criticism left and right. Uh, And what I've learned uh, over the past several years is that not every fight is worth picking, (laughs) right? Not every fight is loving to pick. Some are. Sometimes it's, it's loving to challenge. We're going to talk about that in just a little bit. But so often when people are criticizing you, the best thing you can do is just receive it, 
and then let it pass over you. To, to receive it, to understand, hey, there's something going on there, and thanks for sharing it with me. Look for the nugget of truth in it. Again, we'll talk about that in a second. But then don't respond. Don't rise to the bait. You don't have to match their energy level when somebody is being critical of you because your role is to obey God, not to answer to critics. Your role is to be faithful to that calling that we talked about last week, not to make sure everybody's happy with how you're doing it along the way. So often, as it relates to criticism, the best thing you can do is not respond at all. But there's other ways that sometimes we need to approach a critic. And so the second thing, uh, oftentimes we ignore, we just move on past criticism, but sometimes you do need to respond carefully. And those last two words are so important. You need to respond carefully because responding is different from reacting. Reacting is that thing we all want to do in the moment. Right? Somebody says something critical about you, and you're like, yeah, but you don't know. <laughs> like you gotta, the, if you're like me, I'm a small guy, but for some reason, I got the fight out of the fight and flight equation, which is really bad because I'm a small guy, but, but I have that in me, right? I want to react when somebody says something critical. I'm like, yeah, well, you don't know, or let me tell you, or let me put you in your place, and God's working on me with it. But reacting <laughs> is emotional, right? Reacting is that thing that we feel. Responding is intentional. Responding is when you're willing to, like, push pause on that emotion, let it do its thing, like feel it, pay attention to it, but don't react, rather pause long enough to be able to speak clearly and intentionally to the situation. And there's an example where this happens in the Old Testament uh, with a guy named Gideon. Gideon was a leader, kind of a reluctant leader in God's people, and there was this moment where he was leading God's people into battle against a group known as the Midianites. Uh, it's in the section of the Bible where there's all the ites, right, all the names we can't pronounce. Uh, but in this moment, he went into battle, and there was another group of people known as the Ephraimites, and they were upset with him. They were critical of him because they didn't, uh, Gideon didn't do what they thought that he should do, and so here's what they said. It says, now the Ephraimites asked Gideon, why have you treated us like this? Why didn't you call us when you went to fight Midian? And they challenged him vigorously, but Gideon answered them. You've probably been on the other side of that one before, right? Like, why didn't you call me? That's what the Ephraimites are saying. They're like, why didn't you include us? And, and essentially, they were critiquing his leadership. They were saying, hey, why didn't you let us go to battle with you? Why didn't you let us be a part of the equation? And instead of reacting to the bait, Gideon, the text says, answered them. And he goes on and he gives this really simple explanation about what, was God, what God was doing, how he was leading them, why he thought it was the right thing. And in the very next verse, in response to Gideon's careful response, verse 3 says this, that when the men of Ephraim heard Gideon's answer, their anger subsided. See, often we overlook when somebody's critical of us, but sometimes we respond carefully. And sometimes in responding, we can actually give the critical person a different perspective. We can give them information that maybe they didn't have before. We can give them an explanation that they were overlooking, and it can diffuse the tension. The anger can subside in this situation. Uh, maybe you have a friend who seems like they unleashed on you for no reason, and you're like, whoa, where's all this coming from? And then you talk about it, and you realize, oh, there was more going on than I realized, right? Maybe your coworker seems to be picking you apart, but then you realize what's going on at home, and you're like, okay, it, it makes more sense to me. Your parents won't leave you alone, but then you realize you're kind of doing the wrong thing, right? Like, like, sometimes we need more information, and responding can give us the opportunity to do so. But the key thing is you wait before you respond. You don't just react in a moment. You wait before you respond to criticism because when emotions are high, wisdom is typically low. Isn't that true? 
Like, think about your biggest regrets in life. There were probably moments where emotions were high and wisdom was low, right? Where you felt something big and so you did something big and then you got in big trouble because emotions were high and wisdom was low. But if you respond, if you're willing to wait, if you're willing to pause and not just react, you have the opportunity for those emotions to kind of simmer down and for wisdom to enter into the equation where you can respond, but respond carefully and intentionally. That's why it's so important to maybe type the email to get it out, but don't hit send, right? Like, like get it out there, but wait a minute before you respond because it's good to process the emotion, but reacting to a critical person can just lead to more criticism. But responding carefully sometimes can diffuse the tension along the way. And, and I think an important thing for us to remember in this is that often criticism isn't even about you. The criticism that you receive or that I receive, it isn't even about you or it isn't even about me. Most of the time when we're critical or somebody around us is critical, it's because they're hurting from something. It's because something's off and maybe they don't know how to express it along the way. Maybe their hurt comes out as anger and that anger looks like criticism for you. And I think the truth is most angry people, if you drill down below the surface, they're actually hurting people. Like, maybe they are hurting people, but they're hurting themselves, too. There's some kind of hurt under the surface that's causing them to lash out. So a lot of the time, the criticism isn't even about you. It's about what they're going through, and they're just lashing out in an inappropriate way. But if we're aware of that, then responding carefully can look like, instead of getting defensive, we can have compassion for whatever they're going through. Right? It doesn't make it okay for them to treat us that way, but it gives us the tools to respond compassionately. We can love them through their wound, instead of taking it personally and creating another wound. We can actually respond carefully. So again, how do we respond when people are critical to us? Often we don't respond. Sometimes we respond carefully. And there's a third way that we need to respond sometimes. And occasionally, we need to listen and actually make a change. Occasionally, when someone offers criticism to, it, they're, to us, they're doing it in love. They actually see something in our life that's off. They're challenging us, uh, hopefully in a loving way, and the best thing that we can do is actually listen to it, actually consider it, and make a change along the way because sometimes, I hate to break it to you, sometimes your critics are right, and sometimes my critics are right. We all have area, uh, areas where we can grow, and if everybody around you seems to be saying the same thing, if everybody around you is telling you you have a problem, you might have a problem. Right? If your spouse who loves you and lives with you is saying, like, hey, you yell at the kids too much, you might be yelling at the kids too much. If, if everybody who's an influence in your life is telling you that you're dating the devil, you might be dating the devil. Okay? Like, like you might need to pay attention and do something about it. And Proverbs 15 says the same thing in this way. It says, if you listen to constructive criticism, then you'll be at home among the wise. But if you reject discipline you only harm yourself. That, that if you're able to actually listen, sometimes that's the hardest part, right? If you're able to, to actually hear the constructive criticism, then you'll find yourself at home among the wise. In other words, hearing it and, and acting accordingly, if, if it's accurate, if it's true, it can produce wisdom in your life. But rejecting discipline only harms yourself. And man, I've seen this be true in my life again too, because I'm far from perfect as a leader, husband, dad, take your pick. There's room for me to grow in all of it. But uh, I've gotten feedback before that I don't like. Like, I've gotten feedback before that sometimes I'm really bad at keeping a deadline. That, that, or maybe I'll hit the deadline, but I hit it 
at the deadline, right? Like, like the work just keeps going. I'm like, yeah, I know it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. And then it's like the day before, and I'm like, ah, it's time to make the plan. Like, time to talk to the people. Like, we're meeting Tuesday, but whatever. Like, I, I can fall into that, and I don't like hearing that because I like to think of myself as a capable, competent leader who's, who's really in control and leading us well, but it's helped me. It's helped me over time to realize, okay, this is a weakness of mine. This is something I struggle with, and so I can accommodate it. I, I can plan accordingly. When I'm planning something, I know I need to make artificial deadlines so that I can hit the real ones well in advance. Uh, you know, there's little things, like uh, people have told me, I shouldn't say this from stage because now you're going to hear it the rest of the time, but uh, people have told me I have certain phrases that I say from time to time. Now, I've always been like, no, I don't do that. Like, that's what worst communicators do, right? But uh, if you listen to our podcast, the start of every message is going to go, hey, guys, right? Or... Um, Awesome. I say awesome a lot, especially when I'm walking up, like, awesome. Hey, so here's where we're going to go. And man, like, I edit our podcast right now. I keep hearing it, and I'm like, mm, I did it again, right? Like, <laughs> oh, there it is. I can't stop it, and it drives me crazy. But honestly, being aware of that is helping me grow as a communicator. It's helping me grow as a leader, because I don't know that I'm doing it. It's just this thing that I've fallen into along the way. And those are small, silly examples. But the truth is, in every arena of your life, there's probably room for you to grow, right? There's probably some things that you're not aware of. And, and that's the thing, if you're a critical person, sometimes it's difficult because you're not even aware that you're critical, right? Like, like it just seems normal to you and you're just pointing it out. But if in the last year, there haven't been two or three or maybe four pieces of constructive criticism that you've heard and that you've tried to take action on, if there aren't like a few things that you've changed because you listened to somebody, then guess what? you're probably missing opportunities to grow. You're probably missing opportunities to become the person God wants you to be. And sometimes God uses people around us to critique us, to challenge us, to point out those areas where we can grow. And in those moments, one of the best things we can do is listen and make a change. And honestly, I think even the most like off-base, ridiculous criticism, I always try and find the nugget of truth in it. Right? Like, What's the tiny little bit that may be true? Like, did I not get back with them quick enough? Okay, I, I can learn from that. I can do better, right? Did I overlook them? I, whatever it may be, like, if I can find the nugget of truth, I can listen to it, I can learn from it, and I can make a change. And the same is true for you and me as well. Uh, oftentimes, when it comes to criticism, we don't respond because it's just a cheap shot and it deserves to stay in the cheap seats, right? It shouldn't get into your heart. Sometimes we intentionally respond. We carefully explain things. We let the emotions cool down and let the wisdom come up, and then we respond occasionally we listen and, and we make a change because they actually do have something to show us and to challenge us in. But no matter what, as it relates to people who are critical in their nature, as it relates to you and me, no matter what, we always have to guard our heart. You always have to work to guard your heart when it comes to criticism because the truth is no one is immune to developing a critical spirit. It's actually the danger of all of it is that the critical spirit and being critical in your nature, it's this cyclical thing where, where maybe somebody is hurting like we talked about, so then they're angry, so then they say something critical, and then you receive that, and it hurts, and it makes you angry, so then you become critical, and so then you hurt somebody, and they become angry, and, and on and on and on it goes, right? It's this cycle, and if you look at our world right now, isn't it everywhere? Hurting people, lashing out, critiquing causing more hurt, that causes more people to lash out, and it's just this madness where we're just tearing each other apart. I'm going to make this more intense for a second. 
Do you know how the enemy of God is described throughout Scripture? Like Satan. Yeah, it's Halloween, like not like little red horns, but like the real enemy of God. He's just described as the accuser. He's described as the opposer. That he is the father of lies. And one of the things he loves to do most is critique and condemn people wrongly. He loves to put people down, to tear them apart. And when we let ourselves fall into that cycle, man, we're using his favorite tactic, tearing each other down, hurting one another, and letting that hurt lead to more hurt, letting that evil lead to more evil. And that's not who we're called to be as Jesus followers. That's not what leads to to health and to flourishing in our communities or in our world, ultimately. Here's how the author of Proverbs says it in Proverbs 12. It says, some people make cutting remarks but the words of the wise bring healing, right? Some of us, you need to like print that one out and put it on your laptop or or on your phone screen or whatever, right? Like when you log into Facebook, you need to take a look at that first and say some people make cutting remarks, but the words of the wise bring healing. And it can be so easy. Again, I've said I can drift towards this naturally. It's just kind of in my personality. Sarcasm is one of my favorite kinds of humor. But do you know what like the root the actual like, Latin root of sarcasm is, it's to cut. It's a cutting remark. It's to cut someone down. And so what if you watched out for that in your own life? What if you guarded your heart and you didn't let your words cut other people down? And instead, what if you and I, as Jesus followers, as people who are trying to do that thing we talked about at the beginning where we love other people because we love God, what if we became people who built one another up? and who, using our words wisely, actually brought healing to broken situations. The reality is, because of our sinful nature, because we are all broken, we can all be overly critical. We can all fall into this. It's natural for us. Sometimes Christians are the worst at it because we've got our eyes on everybody else and we feel like we have a right to be in everybody's business, right? And so then we start talking about it and it comes off as concern. Like it shows up in the prayer circle, like, did you hear about, did you see what she wore to church? (laughs) <laughs> like, you know, do you see, she dresses like that? Did you hear about their boss? That boss is such an idiot. Like, we, you're watching football in the afternoon, and you're like, what a terrible play for that coach. You've never had a minute on the field. Right? You've never played football in your life, but you can critique it. We can all fall into that. We can all fall into it so naturally. And we'll say, like, I'm just being honest. I'm just calling it like it is. But in reality, we're just being critical. And again, I can be guilty of it, too. I can be so naturally opinionated uh, about certain things that, confession time, like, I can be really opinionated about how people spend their money. When I hear about it, I'm like, well, yeah, of course you have a problem, <laughs> right? Like, look at where it's going. And I just get so critical and, and, and so opinion of it, opinionated about it along the way. I can be really opinionated and critical uh, about uh, the way that people lead in, in certain contexts. I remember this, especially when I was younger, and by younger, I mean, like, a couple years ago. <laughs> uh, I remember this because, like, when I was under certain leaders, I knew I had all the answers, Right? I knew if I was in their seat, here's what I would do, and here's how they could lead better. And I, da, 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 I, could, I had like my long list of ways that we could be better if they would just let me. Well, guess what? I'm in the lead seat now. <laughs> I've actually reached out to some of those leaders, and I've apologized because I'm like, hey, I didn't know everything that I thought I knew. <laughs> like, I, I, if nothing else, I didn't know what it's like to be in the seat and to lead at this level. But it's easy for me to be critical of how other people lead. Uh, it's easy for me to be critical when I feel like people lack initiative, Right? When there's something going on in their life and they're just like, it is what it is, or I just can't do anything about it. And I, that drives me nuts. I'm like, yes, you can. <laughs> you can and you probably should do something about it. But all of these things, if I'm not careful, you know where that critical spirit in me is born out of? 
It's born out of my pride that says I know better. It's born out of my ignorance that says I know everything even when I don't. And a lot of times it's born out of hurt. It's born out of stuff that's in me that I haven't dealt with well. And I would be willing to bet you've done the same thing before. You've been critical of somebody, but if you're honest, it came from your heart that was full of pride or maybe was unaware or maybe was just hurting and something came out of your mouth that you wish you could take back. How do we make sure we don't do that? How do we actually guard our heart? And how do we love people who are critical well without becoming a person who's critical ourselves? I think we guard against this by remembering who you are in Jesus, remembering who you are in Christ. I know that sounds like a church answer, but if you can really do it, it's so powerful because we talked about this last week, right? Remembering your calling, remembering the things that you're uniquely supposed to say yes to can help you draw that line in the sand and say no to the right things. Well, in the same way, remembering who you are in Jesus can free you from overly feeling the criticism of others, from overly internalizing the perspective and the opinion of others. Because who else approves of you doesn't matter as much when you understand how much God approves of you. Like like what other people say about you, it won't matter as much when you have security and you're founded in who God says that you are, when you have a sense of your identity in Christ. Or maybe another way to say that is to say that who I am matters more than what they think. That, That if you're actually living out your identity in Christ, who you are, who God says that you are, matters so much more than whatever they may think and whatever criticism they may want to throw your way. Because if you really understand who God says that you are, you'll understand how radically accepted you are. You'll you'll understand how radically loved you are, how much grace there is available for you, that you are a beloved son or daughter of the God of the universe who made you in his image and who has filled you with potential and calling and meaningful things to do in this world. And if you live out of that space, man, criticism can come your way because you know who your heavenly father says that you are. It can get you in this space where you are not overly moved by praise from your fans or overly shut down by criticism from your haters, (laughs) right? You can get in this space where you're not hinging on every applause that you can receive and you're not crippled by every criticism that you get. If you need somebody's praise to be okay, you're gonna die in its absence, right? If you're hinging on the approval of others, you're gonna suffer when they take it away. And so we have to get in this space where we don't let compliments go to our head and make us proud, but we also don't let criticism get in our heart and make us bitter and make us critical. We, we have to learn how to rise above it. And as we wrap up, again, this isn't new uh, for any of us as people in the world, or it's not new in the Jesus movement either. And there's a letter uh, that the Apostle Paul, who was a church planter in the first century, he wrote uh, to the church that was gathering in Rome. And, and there was clearly some criticism happening in the midst of that community, because here's what he says. He says, why do you condemn another believer to these Jesus followers in Rome? Why do you condemn another believer? Why do you look down on another believer? Remember, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Yes, each of us will give a personal account to God. So let's stop condemning each other. And man, I feel like if there was something that God may want to say to us today as the church in Peru, Indiana, in 2022, in the climate and the world that we live in, it might be, let's stop condemning each other, right? Let's stop this cycle. Let's stop criticizing each other so much. I've told our team before that I feel like every few months I need to do a let's stop it kind of a Sunday morning. It's not going to be that, okay? I'm Eric and I'm your friend. But like, 
Seriously, I think in this arena, we've got to stop it. We've got to stop the cycle because it looks nothing like Jesus. That's why Paul was speaking up in a negative situation. He's saying there's enough negativity, right? Stop being critical, stop being negative, stop being hateful, stop accusing one another in that way. But rather, what if you looked like Jesus and you chose to be the one who looks for the good? You chose to be the one who believed the best about others. You you chose to be so secure in who God says that you are that you don't have to hinge on the praise of other people, but you also don't internalize their criticism. But in the midst of a dark world, which we live in a dark world, in the midst of a dark world, don't forget we're called to bring light. We're called to be different. We're called to love in a different kind of way. And so what that means for you and for me today is this. It's that often when you receive criticism, you should overcome it. You should let it pass over you. You should rise above it because you don't need their approval, right? Sometimes you should respond carefully. You should slow down enough to find the wisdom and and find out how to respond in a careful way. Other times you need to listen and and you need to make some changes, but it's so, so important that we don't let go of this and that we don't lose sight of this because we have to guard our heart to continue to be people who show up and bring light into darkness instead of just continuing the cycle. So let me pray for you. God, this is so difficult, I think, for us to really live out because it is just in the water and it seems like it's in the air where we can be critical and we can be uh, negative and we can just honestly want to eat each other alive and we can get sucked into this cycle. But God, I pray that we would be different, that we would be people who who base our identity, who, who like live at a heart level out of who you say that we are. And that we would understand that we don't need the, the praise or the applause of other people to be worthy and that their criticism shouldn't go to our hearts, but rather that we could be wise in how we love one another. That as we love you, we could learn to love one another, understanding that most critical people in our life are actually hurting people who need compassion and empathy more than they need more criticism. And so God, I pray for the person in the room today who somebody comes to their mind right away that they're just struggling with, that they are having the life sucked out of them by. (laughs) I pray that you would give them a different perspective, that they would be so secure in you that they could respond to criticism with love rather than just throwing out more criticism. And God, I pray for the person in the room who, if they're honest, they're like, man, I kind of have a critical spirit. I've fallen into it. God, will you show them what it looks like to be free from it? Will you show them what it looks like to be light in the midst of darkness and to live differently because of the way that you love them? God, we pray and ask all of that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. If you live in or near the Peru, Indiana area, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend gatherings. To find directions, service times, and information about our environments for kids, visit us at storyperu.com.